Purdue basketball opens its official practices on Tuesday. Has anticipation and perhaps anxiety ever been higher? Let's talk hoops with Brian Newbert. And Purdue football looks to get back on track. Tom Deanhart weighs in. I'm Kyle Charters for Gold and Black Radio. Brian, in a moment, but first this. Designing and building since 1968, TNW has changed the way people think about construction. TNW's three-stage approach to designing and building is unmatched throughout the construction industry. Learn more about TNW's people, passion, and projects at TWDesignBuild.com. Experience unparalleled comfort, service, and cuisine at the Whitaker Inn. This Midwestern oasis is perfect for a relaxing staycation or weekend getaway. Escape from the ordinary at the Whitaker Inn. All right, Brian, let's talk a little bit of basketball. That seems like an excellent thing to do uh, these days. And we're helped out by the fact that uh, official practices get underway for Purdue on Tuesday. Man, it's crazy to think that here still just in late September, way back in the day, it used to just be a hard start on October 15th. The rules have changed, though, over the years, and Purdue will get an opportunity to get out there early. Um, you know, it just adds, I guess, to the preseason here with Purdue making the the European trip, uh, staying together for, for workouts, certainly, and now official practices starting. Uh, there's plenty of time here running up to – what is obviously a, a very highly anticipated season. Yeah, you know, Purdue starting formal practice, it's kind of a redundancy most years anyway because yeah, you know, teams get to practice all summer anyway. But Purdue's practiced, uh, I don't know how many times they got to practice for Europe, but um, it's a lot. So Purdue's practiced all summer, even more so than normal. Now, they didn't practice all summer with Zach Eady. Obviously, that's a big uh, piece of the puzzle here so you know it, it gets a little the stakes get a little higher now is you've got the full group uh, some of the guys who um, you know ordinarily wouldn't have had a whole lot of experience coming into this at least have some practices under their belt you know Miles Colvin isn't just starting cold right now with uh, the team he's gonna be playing with Camden Heidi's not um, starting cold right now um, out, out of redshirt land, uh, wow. Lance Jones isn't starting cold. So now those guys get to, you know, practice with the biggest piece of the puzzle here. And I think that's kind of what's significant. You know, for an established team, Purdue's still got a lot to figure out here. Uh, I, I think that they're very different. I think they're better on paper than they were last year. Now you just got to kind of smooth out some things. I think you need to get those wings empowered and, and involved. I think you need to figure out the whole Zach Eady, Trey Kaufman, Wren piece of this, uh, which, you know, uh, produce pretty confident can work, but it still has to happen in practice and not just theory. Um, so there, there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, Purdue's got to hash out here these next couple of weeks before the season starts. Um, you know, Purdue's been able to start seasons very fast the last couple of years. And, um, this season should line up to be the same way, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're uh, doing some things early on and make sure that you're at your best when it matters most there at the end of the year. I'm not saying that was an issue for them the last couple of years, but um, if it takes a couple of games to get a miles Colvin up to speed or a Lance Jones fully ingratiated or a, uh, a Camden Heidi fully empowered, Hey, so be it. There's been a lot talked about uh, produce front court in particular, you know, that potential combination of Zach Eady and Trey Kaufman-Wren. What do you think that Matt Painter's looking for 
here during the preseason, you know, and I'm certainly headed into the season, it would seem out of those two guys to see whether that combination does in fact work together. Well, I don't think he's got the questions that it's going to work that we have. Um, I think he just wants scorers on the floor. He just wants uh, the most offensive optimized um, lineups he can find. Now, that's not to say that Purdue isn't good offensively as is. I mean, with Mason Gillis at the four, you know, he's he's almost a tailor-made compliment to Zach Eady. But I think uh, Kaufman Wren gives him a little bit more in terms of the guy who you can throw the ball to and he can make something happen on the block or, you know, perhaps he can score a little bit with his, uh, facing the basket. We'll see how he shoots threes, but that's been a big emphasis for him. Um so when we talk about, um, you know, them wanting to have more scores on the floor, Purdue as is has been one of the best and most efficient, you know, offensive teams in college basketball here the last couple of years. So it's not like that's trying to turn a weakness into a strength. I think it's trying to turn a strength into a even, uh, for lack of a term, stronger strength, uh, if that's the way you'd put that. Do you, do you think that combination ever – Include Zach Eady facing the basket. Will we see that at all this year? Do you facing think? the bet, uh, it'll have him facing the basket when he's doing dribble handoff stuff at the elbow when he's setting ball screens, things like that. But if we're sitting here kind of looking at him as Kevin Garnett or Kevin Durant, that's I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Purdue can play him out of some things that they do now, um, but if they can use Trey Kaufman Wren involved in that for example if you give the ball to Zach Eady uh for all their basic handoff actions around the elbow area you know he can maybe play high low with Kaufman run where Kaufman run can pin his guy underneath all of that stuff and you can see the yeah. seventh four guy feeding the post I think there's going to be a little bit more dynamic stuff going on with Edie where maybe he's a little bit more involved slipping those screens and things like that. And he can be a little bit more of a dynamic finisher type of guy. I think they'll put him in those situations. That's something we'll see if um, we'll see how effective he can be in that stuff. He was better in pick and roll as, as the role man last year than I think anybody could have imagined just because you don't picture a seven foot four, 300 pound guy being a pogo stick, you know, getting off the floor uh, all that quick with his feet. But I think they can, I think they can do that kind of stuff. And I think you're going to see Edie in a lot of positions to do, do more stuff with the dive man and pick and roll, maybe a little bit of short roll stuff. I don't know if he's shown anything where he can do that, but um, where Drake Hoffman Ren fits in all that stuff, I don't know. I'm just speaking to Edie on his own, but I, I, I just think you're going to see, uh, you're going to see Zach Edie kind of move around the floor a little bit more than you did last year. That doesn't mean he's shooting three threes a game. He might shoot three threes a month. Uh, I just think it's the definition of insanity to have the seven, four guy in the most daunting physical matchup in all college basketball, Yeah, playing away from the basket out of rebounding position and taking shots. He'll make 40% of instead of shots. He'll make 70% of. So yeah. I know that's kind of the oddity. A lot of people are curious about. I just don't see that being Purdue's best interests. Um, now if, if, if he turns into AJ Hammonds all of a sudden where he's a, he's a 60% shooter from 15, 16 feet, Hey, sure. 
take a couple of them a game, but I just don't see that being in the cards right away. Um, but I, I, I do see him in much more involved in their, in their handoff stuff with, with Braden Smith or pick and roll stuff with Braden Smith and, uh, just kind of, uh, being an offensive piece outside of the, outside of five feet from the basket more often. The other big positional curiosity, I, I suppose, is at the wing. I mean, Purdue has a lot of options there. They have a lot of options there who do things a little bit differently. It, it'll be real uh, interesting to see sort of how all that shakes out, where the minutes go uh, at that position, particularly talking about the three, uh, but maybe you mix the two and the three in there uh, at least a little bit together. But, man, um, it, it is uh, – sort of a different look for Purdue potentially at the three. And that makes it pretty intriguing. Yeah. You got four viable options. Um, one of them would be Lance Jones. There's some practicalities to consider there. I just think from, from the perspective of having an extra ball handler on the floor, having his, his positional defensive versatility. Uh, I think that makes him an option, his experience level. The fact he might be Purdue's best guy, um, you know, right away uh, in terms of that mix. Uh, but I think you do have to consider your backcourt rotation too and yeah. staggering those guys. Um, that leaves then obviously Miles Coleman, Camden, Heidi, Brian Waddell. Miles Coleman, I think, um, has all the potential in the world. I think he's one of the most talented guys Purdue's had. I think he's the most talented player Matt Painter's recruited. Uh, I don't know if Matt Painter would necessarily agree with that, but um, I, I don't think he'd fight it too hard if he didn't. Um, I think getting him up to speed as quickly as possible should be of paramount importance to Purdue. I think Camden Heidi's kind of in, in the same boat. I think he's a big physical athletic kid who gives you a lot of stuff you didn't have, who has shot it really well, but also rebounded really well uh, here all summer. And then Brian Waddell is just the sort of player and not to be, not to sound reductive of what he is, but he's the sort of player that Matt Painter always defaults to somebody you can really rely on something who knows what he's doing, something who really affects winning, you know, so on and so forth. But he's also just been really good. I think he's much more up to speed now on the physical part of the game. Whereas last year, that was still a huge issue for him coming off the injury, but also just being as physically immature as he was coming to Purdue. I, I think now he's very, very different. And I think, a lot of circumstances, there there are a lot of years where any one of these guys would be a clear-cut starter at that position, and now you've got four of them. And, you know, the reality is you're not playing four of them. Um, so that's going to be kind of a Hunger Games situation where Purdue's had a few of these over the years where you've had a lot of good players at the same spot, and there's just no way around somebody not getting as many minutes as, you know, that they might be worthy of. Somebody might fall to the rotation altogether. That's the nature of competition, and that's the good problem to have. That is having too many good players. Should anyone be concerned about Fletcher Lawyer's struggle shooting the ball in Europe? I, I don't view him as having struggled all that much in Europe. He shot the same percentage that he did all, all last season. Um, did he shoot 50%? Uh, I don't think so, no. But uh, <laughs> yeah. he shot – what he shoot 30, 33 percent, something like that in Europe. Uh, that was basically what he shot last year. He didn't take that epic jump, but um, I, I don't put too much stock in 
shooting percentages in Europe. It's, it's a different ball. It's a different court. It's a different game. There's no Zach Eady. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't think it's it's apples to oranges. I think he's going to be fine. I think people are going to one day look back on these last couple months of of panic about him uh, and and laugh. Um, you know, there's always somebody that 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 people harp on as not doing not doing enough or uh, being a, a victim of the expectations that are, are set for them and things like that. And I, I, I think the panic over Fletcher lawyers uh, shooting is, is a bit premature, if not completely wholly out of place. I think he's going to be fine. Um, I think he's going to be really good. I, I, I'd be astonished quite frankly, if he didn't take a, a huge step forward this year, um, does that mean he's going to average 20 points a game? No. Does that mean he's going to shoot 50% from three? No, but I, I think he's going to be, he's going to be a lot better than he was last year with the year of experience. And he pretty damn good last year, you know, at all freshman team out, the, you know, yeah. The tech been on there and, um, you know, he was, um, was never raised when he missed shot last year. As good a shooter as he is, when you have that sort of mentality, I I think it it's just it's really going to help him. I think getting healthy um, after last season, I think having a full a full blown college season under his belt from a conditioning standpoint, of obviously a summer, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't think he'll he'll wear down um, the way he did last year. I, I think he's ready now too for. You know, Big Ten teams punch him in the kidneys when he's coming off screens and things like that. And he should be a little more s- settled in too, to where, you know, when he's actually open, uh, which he never was in high school. Um, <laughs> I think, as stupid as that sounds, that's an adjustment for players. Is, yeah. um, I think he's a little bit more accustomed now to being that guy who every now and then is going to get an open look. And you know, he had a lot of opportunities last year that he didn't make as many of them where he would have, he would have preferred to, I think he's going to be a little bit better there. Um, I just think he's going to be really good. Um, I think people panicking over him to this point are, uh, are just looking for something to freak out about on in, in, in advance of a, what is bound to be a, a eight month long panic attack for pretty basketball fans. <laughs> All right, that that leads me into my next question, Brian. I know you think after... I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not I, I don't think you're kidding. That's that's why I'm going to ask this next question. I think you know after last season, you you talked a little bit about how difficult a year it was on on everyone. Are, are we going to be able to enjoy this year, or uh, is everyone going to be miserable? Well, who are you talking about? Are you talking about the players? Or are you talking about fans? I'm, I'm talking about fans. If it's about fans, it's up to the individual. I mean, um, <laughs> people who understand things are a process uh, and that it's only a game, I think will – I don't want to insult anybody. You know, so I, I know. Be careful what I say here. Um, I, I can just speak to my experience. and I, I can tell you that two years ago was the most miserable I've ever been in my job uh, because of just the constant every time an opponent goes on like an eight to two run oh this is going to happen in march and and it's going to end the season well maybe um <laughs> but it's that's like four months away uh yeah. january <laughs> um i shouldn't say january because 
Purdue was winning all its games in January. Um, I last season, so uh, as to the to the um, reactions to losses because I didn't cover any losses. Yeah, uh, but um, I just think that <laughs> Purdue's going to lose games, and that's okay. Um, obviously, nobody wants to go to the Final Four more than Purdue does. Um, so it, it's not like like losing to double-digit seeds the last three years is considered acceptable in the program. Um, but I think this is going to be a, a season that really tests this team's, you know, maturity. And it's, it, it, it's kind of wherewithal because all they're going to hear about if they ever pick up their phones, turn on their televisions, listen to these radio shows, read message boards, read Twitter, read threads, read whatever. Um, it's going to be a, be about Purdue in the final four. So if you thought Purdue didn't look confident in March last year, which they did not, which I'll, I'll never understand, um, yeah. then they're going to have more headwinds this year, more quote unquote outside noise. So you better watch your mouth, Blue Holtz. Um, <laughs> than ever before so this is going to be a uh the, this this question actually leads into a good point and an important theme for this season is mental strength is going to absolutely positively come to the forefront this year because for as much as we like to think that okay these guys aren't aren't going to be unaffected by everybody flipping out around them every time it was a game late the intensity as much as people think, oh, that won't affect them. Well, that can affect human beings. I mean, that that's that's just the nature of being human, and uh, it's gonna it is gonna test these guys' mental strength. It is gonna test these guys' maturity, and they know as well as anybody, or they should know as well as anybody, that this season is going to be defined by what happens at the end of it, not at the at the start of it. And, not by winning Big Ten championships. If Purdue is again so fortunate as to do that, it, it's going to come down. Their entire basketball existence, in a lot of people's eyes, is going to be defined by what happens in March, and that's the nature of that silly fickle tournament. And that's not to that's not to belittle the importance of the NCAA tournament, or to suggest that Purdue doesn't care about the NCAA tournament. Purdue understands. Hey, this is uh, I, I can't say Purdue collectively. Uh, Matt Painter, all those involved, they want to win in the NCAA tournament more than anybody. Um, they've put a lot of a lot of themselves into this, and it is embarrassing to a lot of people in the program um, that three years in a row now you've lost to uh, double-digit seeds in advance or sooner than you should have been ousted from that tournament. And last year's loss was just an and abomination. And I don't know if anybody's actually going to articulate that part of it because you don't want to, you don't want to sound like you're making fun of St. Peter's, but you know, it is what it is. You kind of have to call it what it is sometimes. And, you know, Purdue had no business losing that game. Purdue lost that game. And I think it's fair to say it was on Purdue as much as it was a credit to St. Peter's. And I think that, um, Purdue's going to be hearing about it all year long, and um, they're just going to have to either do the unrealistic and completely ignore it or just not care and just win anyway. Um, and 
that that is a challenge to any any organism comprised of flesh and blood uh, with you know actual feelings and actual emotions and you know that isn't immune to all of those natural things that come along with being a sentient being you know um pressure um did i just say sentient being yeah hey that's pretty good um anyway Purdue's gonna have to really 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 be mentally strong this year and really really mature and uh you know i I think that that's just part of playing basketball at a very high level but i think it's also just part of being part of a basketball environment where purdue has his final four hungry fan bases probably anybody and a national media core that needs to assign labels to things and needs to generate storylines about every program. And that's exactly what's going to happen this year with Purdue. So um, the headwinds there are going to be, are going to be an interesting thing to follow. You know, Purdue should not fail because of it. Um, it, But it is something they're going to have to win in spite of. I got an idea. Purdue needs to find some retired 90 year old coach who goes on TV and questions its mental toughness, like like say on on March first of next year, Ohio against the world. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be perfect. That, then Purdue can then Purdue can beat the the double digit seed in the first round, and and Matt Painter can freak out after the game. I heard, I heard what you said, Robbie Hummel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Where is he? <laughs> Where is he? That's, Come that, on, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll end on that note. Thank you, Brian. All right. Yep. On the far end of Main Street in downtown Lafayette, you'll find East End Grill, industrial and classic. The restaurant is built like a steakhouse, but handles like a bistro. East End Grill's menu includes creative starters, simple chopped salads, burgers, fresh fish, and steaks, and the signature shrimp and grits. The staff prepares every item from scratch and emphasizes simple meals that incorporate fresh, local, and seasonal ingredients. A warm and inviting dining room features a cozy bar that includes a great selection of craft beer, inspired cocktails, and a robust and expanding wine list. Whatever your entertainment needs are, a cocktail at the bar, dinner with family, or a special event in the private dining room, the energized and attentive staff is here for you. Eastern Grill in downtown Lafayette, welcome to our table. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group is your local farmland specialist. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-775-6502 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-775-6502. At Purdue Federal Credit Union, it's about a relationship. A relationship that goes where you go, wherever you are in life. A relationship that's committed to free financial wellness resources, lower fees, and innovative digital banking solutions. Because we believe in people helping people. Let's build your financial future together. Purdue Federal Credit Union, your trusted financial partner for life. Federally insured by NCUA. Tom, let's talk a little bit of football as the Boilermakers move on. Homecoming week, a big one at Purdue with the Tiller Tunnel dedication. Uh, Drew Brees back in town. Probably Arnett Tiller as well. Should be a great weekend. The highlight of the weekend will be a football game against the Illinois Fighting Illini. And man, 
Tom, Purdue has got to find a way to clean some things up if it wants to get back pointed in the right direction before the calendar turns to October and the schedule gets more difficult. Yeah, you're right. The uh, program very much a work in progress. I think we all can agree after four games being one and three, not ideal of yet to win at home. You know, short yardage offense, getting off the field on third downs, converting three that third downs, uh, containing quarterback runs. Um, getting a pass rush, a very leaky offensive line. I mean, it seems like the to-do list adds something every week. So, yeah, this is program. This staff has its hands full, no doubt about it. Um, and Kyle, you know, here comes Illinois, a program obviously struggling too. And, um, you know, program wanting some success just like Purdue. And I, I don't think it's crazy to say this is a must win for Purdue if they have any hope, any any chance of maybe getting to the postseason getting the six wins, you got to beat Illinois this Saturday. And there's a lot of great storylines with, of course, so much of the staff now Purdue coming from Illinois just this last season too. Yeah, as you look at that schedule, uh, it gets difficult in October and then maybe eases a little bit uh, in November. Though, you know, that's a long way away. It's hard to project uh, out to then. But uh, you've got to get two victories, it feels like, in September. If not, it feels like a real uphill climb. Uh the game on Friday night, it just felt like was a typical Wisconsin-Purdue game in that it was won by the Badgers in the trenches, really on both sides of things, right? I mean, uh, it felt like Hudson Card was under duress. While Purdue ran the ball well, it felt like in the passing game, he was under duress a lot. Uh, and then from the opposite end of things, Tanner Mordecai had forever, uh, forever to, sort of, to, to survey – what was going on and and make good decisions about what to do with the football. Yeah, you're right. And um, penalties continue to be an issue. Kyle, I think Purdue had seven a week after having, I believe, 11. And turnovers obviously continue to be an issue for the Boilermakers for uh, the week before. I, mean, I believe two this last weekend as well. Attention to detail, keeping things buttoned up. And again, offensively, 200 yards rushing, you're right. I'm very positive. And it looks like Kyle – we're seeing a transition of running back. Tyrone Tracy has got to start last week. It looks like the job is his now. And he's he's running very well and probably deserves it. You know, meanwhile, Devin Mockaby's really struggled holding on to the ball. So we'll see if that motivates Devin Mockaby, how he responds. And but you know, more more importantly on the offense, Kyle, we all know that big issue are the guys up front. Um, my goodness, uh the, the like you talked about the, the inability to protect Hudson Carr. He was running for his life and um just not an ideal situation. Again, Kyle, really the lack of playmakers, too, on this offense. Number four, Deion Burks, is obviously a cut above. He's special. But aside from him, you know, there's not a lot of guys that can take the top off a of defense. So, yeah, there's a, an offense that, that has a lot of issues as it's trying to sort through right now. Yeah, got to find a way to set Deion Burks up as often as possible, get the ball to him in a variety of different ways because – he, I mean, when he has the ball in his hands, it is it is electric. Um, and Purdue doesn't have very many, if any, other guys who are quite like that. Perhaps the two running backs. Uh, but uh, but Burks, he, he can be a, a next-level type player, it seems like. For Purdue defensively, man, it just felt like, A, they didn't get a lot of pressure, as I mentioned, but B, uh, just some assignment. There had to be some assignment breakdowns out there, right? I mean, just the, the, the running quarterback still. Uh, I mean, just running – running <laughs> running in a sea of green out there is is difficult to watch 
Yeah, we've seen it almost all season. Garrett Schrader had a field day for Syracuse, and Tanner Mordecai certainly had his moments as well for Wisconsin. I don't know all the, the schematic assignments for these players, but it doesn't seem like the edge is often set to try to keep things but you know, inside and to funnel things back inside with, without letting these quarterbacks get on the edge and find that open green field. And, you know, some people wonder how much man coverage Purdue should pay. A lot of times those, those D-backs are, have their back turned, they're running away. And then meanwhile, they, they, they know what's going on behind them, and, and there's more green grass for quarterbacks and others to expose. So on and on it goes. You can find a lot of nits to pick, I think, right now with the defense. But some of those busts, especially in the quarterback run game, I think have really have been chief among some of the, the real uh, you know issues that this defense has had to the first month of the year. So this game was circled against Illinois before the season started. Maybe it's circled a couple of times in, in, in red pen here uh, as, as the Boilermakers welcome in. Illinois, obviously the storylines uh, present themselves with Ryan Walters facing his, his former boss at his former school. Um, but man, beyond that though, Purdue just needs a win against an Illinois team that while it has been okay, is not the same team as what it was a year ago. No, they lost some key players on defense, especially in the secondary. So yeah, they really struggled. They should have lost to Toledo in the opener when they beat Florida Atlantic by six last week. Got their lunch handed to them by Kansas and Penn State. So, yeah, they're really struggling, um, <clears throat> especially to run the ball on offense. And, again, that defense is near, not nearly as good as it was last year. And, yeah, you talk about the storylines with the Illinois connections here. Of course, Ryan Walters was the defensive coordinator in Champaign last year. He brought a lot of guys from Illinois with him. You know, Kevin Kane, who's now his defensive coordinator, Joe Deneen, Corey Patterson, Grant O'Brien. So, uh, again, a lot of uh, former Illini staffers here, and, and that's going to add to maybe the, the, their motivation to want to show their former boss, boss Brad Bielema, what they're all about. And again, homecoming, right? And uh, the dedication of the Tiller Tunnel, Arnett Tiller and a lot of her family will be here. Uh, Drew Brees, obviously. And I think it's Sean Phillips, maybe the honorary captain. So, again, uh, a lot going on here at uh, what, 3.30 kickoff. I believe on Peacock, Kyle, you have to have a subscription to watch this game on Peacock. So, yeah, a big game for the Boilermakers here as they try to get their first win in Rossi this uh, 2023 season. All right, Tom, have a good week. Take care, buddy. That'll do it for our podcast for this week. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors. As always, if you do like the podcast, please rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a comment as well. All right, that'll do it for our show for Brian Newbert and Tom Dean Hurt. I'm Kyle Charters. Thanks for listening. This is Golden Black Radio.